Well, we're ready to start uh, lesson number nine in Ephesians. We've entitled it Walking with Power. I can remember so vividly when my parents would leave on a Saturday morning, maybe to make a shopping trip and have a little time to themselves, and they'd give instructions to my brother and I on our chore list, and there'd be three or four items on the list. But at the very end, one of my parents would say, now lastly, I want to make sure you know you need to whatever. It was that lastly that was the most important item on the list, and we knew that. I think maybe that is what Paul's doing here at the end of his letter. In this very last section, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24, he sums up the whole letter with the term, finally. Essentially, he's saying, finally, in light of all that God has done for you, uh, that he detailed for us in chapter 1, in light of the glorious standing you have as a child of God, in light of his great plan for all of the ages, in light of what he has for you as it relates to your maturity and your growth, in light of the conduct that he expects all of us to live by, and in light of the fact that he fills us with a spirit that enables us to do that, he says, recognize that there is a battle. There is a battle for the Christian life and walk with power. And so what he does is with a series of commands, we're told to get ready for this battle. We're told to, to, to put on the armor of God. And he makes sure and says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in, the, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. In other words, here is everything that you're going to need as a soldier for battle. So that very first command is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse number 10. Um, the, the, the concept here is that we are to be strengthened as we put on that armor. And it's, and it's emphasizing not what we can do. It's not the idea that we gut it up somehow and, and, and get stronger uh, from within, but it's what God can do on our behalf. Second Timothy chapter two, verse number one says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, the concept here is that we, we take on, we, we, we receive in the Lord, the things that are necessary for, for this battle, the power of his might, that, that phrase, or in his mighty power, might is a an inherent strength or a force, and, and power is the exercise of that strength or that force. It's the idea that as believers, we operate with a reserve of strength, not our own strength, but Christ's strength. We go into battle with a reserve. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's the first command. And then he says, starting in verse number 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor or the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So put on the full armor of God. Put it on. Avail yourself. Don't ignore it. It's a gift of God. It's sitting right there, ready for you. Put it on. And the first thing he wants to make sure we understand is that we have an enemy. 
We're standing against our enemy. Our enemy in the Old Testament was referred to as Satan. In the New Testament, the term devil shows up. Now, bear in mind, this is not somebody in a red suit running around uh, like a cartoon character with a pitchfork. Um, this is a person with, a, with an evil heart, with a wicked soul. And, and as a person, he has an ability to, to inspire all manner of evil. There is evil in our world, and behind each and every kind of evil is our enemy. Now, Satan is in command of an entire army of demons and spirits that are focused on destroying God's people. Now, these particular terms that, are, that showed up in our, in our passage here, rulers, authorities, powers, they may actually just be referring to the ranks that are, that are found within the evil army. Um, other commentators think that these distinctions might be seen as, well, the rulers might be referring to the initial fallen angels that fell out of heaven when uh, Satan himself rebelled. And in Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1, there isn't but one chapter, but Jude verse 6, the Bible says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So the, the rulers may be the, the literal rulers, the first, the primaries, that fell out of heaven when, when uh, Satan did his... Um, his rebellion. The authorities, that term may be referring to governments or world systems. And then powers may be a more general term referring to all the spiritual forces of evil that are in the world. It's hard to know how to distinguish between those three terms. But as one commentator put it, the devil is pictured here as in command of, of a spirit or of spirit of forces that rule in the sphere of the world's moral darkness. Paul uses plural here to describe Satan and his hosts. They are an intangible spiritual entities. Um, they are intangible spiritual entities. And the rule is often worked out through, through concrete things that we can see, historical things, economic things, political things, social and institutional structures. His point is, is that Satan is alive and well and doing anything at any level in any way to destroy God's people. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and um, verses 3 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, or 3 to 5. He says, uh, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, in order to wage this war with our enemy, we need spiritual weapons we need we need spiritual in, uh, ammunition. We need we need supernatural tools to get the job done against our, our foe, and and those supernatural weapons are not what's found within us, but they are found by by being powered and empowered by Christ. Zechariah chapter four verse number six. 
in essence says that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how you get this thing done. Now, the, the put on the full armor of God. Don't leave any part out. He's making an emphasis here that each aspect of the armor is important. And each aspect needs to be picked up every single day in order to, 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 to properly be ready for our battle. The third command comes up in verse number 14. He says there, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we're, we're standing in faith, we're, we're standing in grace, we're standing with courage and strength in Christ, we stand firm in him, mature and fully assured, and while we're standing, we're being clothed, we're being prepared with, we're being protected by about six specific pieces of armor. And the very first one is the belt of truth. Now, for an actual soldier in the first century, this, this was a literal belt that held up his undergarment and, and his tunic out of the way because they were free-flowing, and, and he wouldn't be able to have freedom, freedom of movement uh, if, if they were just, you know, flowing around. So this belt is, is, a, is a way to get him ready for battle. It's also a place for him to hang his sword. So girded with his belt, he then could function. He could then take on the enemy. Well, of course, the belt of truth for us. We're to be girded with truth. John 14, 6. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. We are girded with truth when our lives and our, and our message are focused on Jesus Christ. And again in John 8, he says in verse 31, 32, he said, hold on to my teaching. And then if you are steeped in my word, you'll know the truth and then the truth will set you free. The belt of truth. It's a good place to start. God's word. Truth. There are a lot of messages swimming around in our world uh, right now and at any other time in human history for that matter. It's difficult for the child of God to ferret through what message they should listen to. So we start with the belt of truth. We get, we get things pulled aside and in place and, and our movement freed up by staying focused in God's word the belt of truth. And the second one is the breastplate of righteousness. Now this breastplate was made of leather and metal and it protected all of the vital organs of, of a soldier. Um, when he put the breastplate on, he was, he was acknowledging that if he got hit with either a sword or a spear or an arrow, that by, by having the breastplate snugged up against his, his chest, and part of his stomach area, he was, he was protecting those things that were the most important. That which protects the believer is the focus on righteousness. When we have right living, we are protected. When we make right choices, we are protected. When, when we have a right attitude, we are protected. So the breastplate of righteousness is the second uh, thing that we need to make certain that we have on every single day. The third one have to do with our feet. 
He says that your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, this this passage comes uh, as a reflection out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52. And I shall turn there with you, Isaiah 52, verse number 7. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news and proclaim peace who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Feet fitted with the, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now the shoes that a soldier wore were critically important. And one of the reasons the Romans conquered uh, the vast majority of the then known world is their soldiers were, wore these kind of boots. They were really kind of half boots. But the, the key to these boots was the heavily studded soles of those boots. And they had sharp nails embedded in them. They had incredibly great traction. They could get around. They could get, get the job done. They didn't slip and slide. Uh, they were able to be prepared uh, in every scenario to meet the enemy. God's saying that it's the gospel. It is the gospel that makes us ready. And when we have it, uh, in our minds, in our hearts, in our mouths, when we're we're ready to to, to share it, uh, we need to make sure we we have our boots on. And if we have our boots on, then we're we're ready to do that. So the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and our feet uh, properly uh, covered and ready and 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 reflective of the gospel of peace. So stand, you stand with these things. You are, you are assured, you're confident, you're ready to meet the battle. And then verse 16, he's going to go to the, to the, to the uh, fourth command. So we were to stand, and, and now we're going to take up, or, or another way of looking at it is to accept what is being offered to us. Look at, look at verse number uh, 16. He says, in, in addition uh, to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, three more things that we get to, we get to have by way of preparation for the battle with Satan. And in this particular case, it's still a command, but it's a command to take up something that's already been provided for us, or already been offered to us. Uh, I couldn't help but think of that passage in, in Revelation 3, uh, about verse number 20, um, where it talks about Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and that if we will hear him and open the door, that he'll come in and, and have dinner with us. Now, we often uh, erroneously use that that verse in a, in a presentation of the gospel, but it and, and it applies, but but primarily, it's a discussion to a Christian. He's saying, I got some stuff for you, uh, and I'm out here, and I'm prepared to come in and provide it for you. My spirit is ready to embolden you, but you, you got you to gotta open the door. You got you to gotta pick up. You got to take up. You got to accept what is offered to you. And I think that many times, uh, as, as a believer, I ignore the tools that are at my disposal to, to do battle with. I get overcome in the flesh and, and overwhelmed in my emotions, and I let my, my um, you know, feelings get involved, and I forget what's, 
what's already been provided for me by way of by way of uh, tools, by way of armor. And the very first one he says in this passage is the shield of faith. Now, a shield for a first century uh, soldier was not a, a small little thing that, that kind of hung, hung off of one arm and, you know, uh, maybe a, a foot and a half wide and two or three or, or maybe two feet uh, high. This This is a very large oblong shield, and it would have covered virtually the entire body. So they would have been able to stand. It would have been just underneath their chin and perhaps all the way down to their feet. Um, it was made of, of, of layers of wood, one, one on top of another, and it, and it probably had an iron frame around it. it. It was substantive. When they were getting ready to go into battle, they would soak it in water. And the idea was if the, the fiery arrows came flying and they embedded themselves in their shield, the, the water within the, the wood would put out the fire and they would be very effectively uh, uh, saved from, from those arrows uh, lighting everything up. The, the other truth about these shields, not only did it cover them literally from chin to, to, to feet, but they generally stood shoulder to shoulder. So when the Roman army had all of its soldiers out there with these very large shields, it was in an impenetrable kind of row of soldiers. <coughs> Excuse me. It was it was this shield, this 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 ability to withstand the fiery darts of Satan uh, that that is the picture of you and I having faith in in our lives. It is no accident that God says in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible to please God. We, we have to trust him. We have to move around our shield uh, and allow it to protect us. We have to put our confidence in him, not in something we're doing, but it's the shield of faith that provides that massive amount of protection. And it's often best used when it's shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in Christ which speaks again of the body of Christ working together, fellowshipping together, holding each other accountable, meeting together, worshiping together, sharing together, much like we are in our, in our situation right now. This is, a, this is a time for the shields of faith to be up all down the row, row after row after row. The, the fifth item that he's mentioning in this last section of Ephesians is the helmet of salvation. Now, this helmet uh, was an integral part of a soldier's armor, and it was a metal cap, and it probably had layers of, of cloth or leather embedded inside it. Now, this, this hope of salvation uh, is found only in Christ. It, it is a helmet of salvation. Our salvation covers the, the most critical part of our body, which is our brain, I suppose we could say our heart is pretty critical too, but but the helmet of salvation is the protective piece at the top. No soldier would go to battle without having that metal and and leather uh, cap on their head, um, and that helmet was was a picture of the salvation, the beginning point of the Christian's life. Without salvation, we have no basis on which to do, to do battle. We are we are armorless. 
uh, without having come to Christ and putting our faith and trust in him and him alone. So the shield of faith is we need to take up. We need to take up our helmet of salvation. And then the, the sixth item he mentions as part of the armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. In the, in the first century, these soldiers did not have long um, uh, swords like we envision uh, Sir Lancelot or King Arthur having. These were short swords that were used for, for close combat, you know, hand-to-hand kind of combat. These were easily moved around. These were, um, uh, you, could, you could turn them right and turn them left and turn them in and turn them out. You could do it with your left hand. You could do it with your right hand. You could do it in close quarters. Um, they, the, the sword of the Spirit was useful, functional. God's, God's telling us that with the Holy Spirit living inside of a believer, we have what we need to do battle. The, the, the idea here that the word of God, the, the sword of the Spirit, let me read it again, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He's, he's telling us that we can wield God's word in a, in a very useful, functional kind of way. We do battle with God's word as a weapon. You remember when, when Satan uh, was tempting Jesus, and each and every time he had a new temptation, Jesus' response was to quote uh, and, to, and to teach on another aspect of God's word. When Satan tries to get his claws into our lives and our circumstances and our homes, we need to respond, not, not with uh, you know, personal oomph, but with God's word as a weapon. Now, God's Word is sufficient for every situation. I'm sure you remember the passage in 2 Timothy, but let's look at it just for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and starting in verse number 16. 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is useful. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are right now or what, what challenges you might have uh, of, of, a, of a character nature or what sin is, is you know, nipping at your, your heels or what weakness, spiritual weakness, is, is, is bothering you. But whatever it is, the 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 antithesis of that is to do battle with God's word as our weapon. That's why it's so important to memorize God's word and to review those over and over again. The other night, I found myself uh, starting to allow a little bit of worry and anxiety to creep creep in. And of course, it always happens, you know, after the sun goes down and maybe the house is really quiet and you're getting ready to go to sleep and your mind starts to wander off. And so I. I immediately went to Philippians chapter 3, and I've memorized those those passages in 3, verses 4 to, to 7 or 8, I guess 8, and, and I, I, I laid there rehearsing them in my mind. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The, why? Because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious, Sherry, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace, 
of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look, guys, those verses that we hide in our heart become become part of a sword, a nimble uh, attack mode, an ability to do business when Satan is, is doing his thing. Uh, it's interesting that this word that Paul uses, this term, uh, when he says uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that's not that usual uh, term, logos, that we see so often in the New Testament. This is that other word that, that refers to a spoken word. It's the idea that God's word is out loud, that we use it uh, both to ourselves and in conversation with other people. Um, it's it's not it's not a necessarily a written expression or or, or uh, the like. It's a spoken word. We we are effective when we can speak God's word. Now, if you're new to to studying God's word and you're new as a believer, you're not going to have you know, 50 years of God's word rattling around in your mind like I do. But you can be intentional about every single week tucking one, two, three verses away in your heart, review them, uh, use them in conversation with others, tack them up around your house, put them in your car, record them on your phone, do whatever you have to do, but have your sword ready to do battle. Then he gives the fourth command in in verse uh, 18, 19, and 20. He says, um, and pray, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Notice how he's just overly emphasizing that all. You pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and you do it for all the saints. He's emphasizing, you know, when do we pray? All the time. We looked at that verse uh, earlier in our study, and we were talking about 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where it says to pray continually. The idea is not that we pray without stopping, but it's the idea that our lives are punctuated by prayer. We pray in the car, we pray in the shower, we pray with our friends, we pray with our family, we pray. We pray in our quiet time. We pray in morning. We pray at night. We pray at lunchtime. We pray over meals. We pray over sick friends. We we pray. The prayer punctuates our lives. When? All the time. And what are we praying? A variety. A variety of prayers and requests. Some things are adoration that we're returning back to God. Some of it is, is verbal uh, worship. And some of it is actual requests. We're told to do both. We're told to to acknowledge him, to acknowledge his value and his worth and his awesomeness and his characteristics. But we're also told to bring our our requests to him. And we're to do it with what kind of an attitude? We're to be alert. This is supposed to be a a major portion of of our life experience. Prayer is both a privilege it, and, and, and a necessity, but it's not a, it's not a safety net. It's not a thing we do last. It's a thing we do first. And, and who do we pray for? Well, it's very interesting in this passage. He starts off there in verse 18, say, praying for all the saints. Um, I think what he's talking about here is pray for people individually, not God bless the church. During this challenging time that you and I find ourselves in, now is not the time to say, and, and God bless uh, my past, 
my, my church, rather, in general, or God bless the Christians in the area, or God bless my community, or God bless my family. But this is a time to, to zero in, to call to mind specific people. Pray for all the saints. Um, I've, I've, in the last few days, uh, made some mental notes of all the doctors and nurses that I know personally, and I, and I have their names uh, in my mind, and I'm praying for them one by one by name. Um, I, I am praying for um, the pastors in the area, the ones that I know personally. And I, and I start at the south end of South County and work my way up to the El Toro area, calling out the names of specific pastors and, and staff members and, and people that, 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 are, that are working in church offices and church ministries. This is a difficult time for them, calling them out by name. Pray for all the saints. Pray for the the people in your small group by name. Pray for the the people in your office by name. Pray for your family members by name. Pray for all the saints. And then he shifts the focus in verse number 19 and pray also for me. Now, this is a big deal for Paul. He is a very uh, accomplished and, and, uh, and strong man. He, he has great uh, power in the Lord, and yet he understands that without their great support, without their prayers, uh, he, he will get nothing done. So he asks for three personal things at the end of this lesson. He says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He prays first off for the words to share, to, to, to have an articulation. When he goes to encounter someone, uh, whether, whether um, they be a Jew or a Gentile, Lord, give me words that will match the situation, their heart, their circumstances, their, their place and season in life. So he asked them to pray that he would know what to say. And then he asked, secondly, that, that he would be able to make known the gospel. He's seeing himself as an ambassador. Now, an ambassador is somebody who is, a, is an agent or a representative of a, of a ruler. And Paul's using that term very, very selectively. He's saying, I stand in the stead of Jesus Christ, and I need to be a faithful agent, a faithful representative of Christ. So please pray for me while I'm, while I'm doing my work. And then thirdly, he asks that he would do all those declarations without fear. If the Apostle Paul can admit and ask for prayer to not be fearful when presenting the gospel, surely you and I can make that a prayer request of our friends. We need people to support us prayerfully so that we can make our declarations to those around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, and, and, and proclaim Christ without fear. So then he shifts to his final uh, little section, final greetings, if you will, in verse 21 and 22. He says, uh, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. So this guy is on his mission. He's going to carry four letters. We talked about this in the introduction to this letter. He's going to, he's going to be carrying the, the letter to the church at Colossae, 
the letter to the to the gentleman Philemon, the, this letter to the church in Ephesus, and a lost letter that is referred to uh, in Colossians 4 that was going to the church at Laodicea. And, and carrying these four letters, he's also going to update them. He says, this, he's going to tell you how I am and what I'm doing, and then he's going to encourage you. Paul's ministry was personal. It was person to person. It might have been a large church. There might have been a lot of people reading this letter and being ministered to by it. But Paul's, Paul's got them in mind. He's, he, he wants them to know how he's doing. He wants to encourage them individually. If ever, ever there was a time in our, in our church culture or church, modern church history, this is a time for us to, to reach out and make sure that we are individually encouraging people. And then in verse number 23, he gives his salutation, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and love and grace, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. He's he's finishing it off by, by expressing that his heartfelt desire is that they would have love for each other, certainly love for God. Um, that they would have a sense of peace in their relationship to each other, and that grace, that 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 grace would be the underlying uh, characteristic of their of their fellowship. He's hearkening back to his desire that they would live in harmony, and in particular, he's drawing them back by mentioning the grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. He's hearkening them back to that to that long one sentence that was found in the first chapter of, of Ephesians. It started in verse 3 and ended in verse 14, where he listed out the spiritual blessings that they had in Christ. He's reminding them of, of those as he finishes off his letter. Well, as I do uh, every time I uh, teach God's Word, I, I like to ask myself and, and my audience, uh, okay, so that's what the letter says. What does it mean to me? How, how can I walk away with something today that will make a difference in my walk with Christ? I want to answer the question, so what? And I would make this observation that after, you know, a full six chapters now of sitting, if you will, in the great truths of, of his word, we're now instructed to, to stand up and, and to walk out the truth that we've been studying in our, in our everyday lives. And he, and he puts it in a way we can understand it. He says, you can't go to battle, and we are in a battle. We have Satan as a roaring lion walking about, want, wanting to destroy. He says, if you're going to be in that battle, what you need is a full suit of armor. So I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, is there, is there a piece of armor that that you might tend to neglect are are you are you living in truth are you wearing the breastplate of righteousness making right choices are are your feet ready to share the gospel are you wielding your shield of faith you got, you got your helmet on is salvation an integral part of your of your life experience and and do you have the sword the sword out, the word of God, readily available to be an offensive and defensive weapon. And and if you are tending to neglect one aspect of that armor, what can you do this week to change that? Let's pray.